You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. And open your Bibles, if you would, please, this morning to the book of Psalm, chapter 128. And I think I can, I can speak uh, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a faster way this morning, if you will. I, I pray that I can move through the message in a way that you'll be able to get everything. I don't have as many notes this morning, but I do have a very important message. We are now entering into the month of June, and we have been thematic all year. And the focus has been what? Prayer. It's been prayer. We've been focusing on praying for different things every month. In the month of January, you remember we prayed for our children. In the month of February, we prayed for our marriages. In the month of March, we prayed for our church. In the month of April, we prayed for revival. In the month of May, we prayed for our ladies. In the month of June, we're praying for our men. And what we've done is we focused on, in that month, as we pray for those different people groups in our church and revival, we've preached around that theme. And so it's been fun. It's, it's, I've been able to prepare messages sometimes, several, at least start preparing messages several months in advance. And so I bring you today a message as we begin to look at the importance of men and praying for men and men who are willing to step up and be leaders in their homes, in their churches, in their communities, where they work. Now, this doesn't mean that it's not going to benefit everybody here. Personally, I was benefited greatly last month as we heard uh, preaching about the importance of ladies in the church and the impact they have in our lives, in our homes, what Scripture says about the older women teaching the younger women. In fact, I thought I would do this, although I'm not preaching from the text. I thought I would mention Titus chapter number 2 again and just read the, the verses about the older men. It says, but as for you... Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, steadfast. Likewise, the older men are to urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects, older men. Let's just call that 50 and older for now. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. Dads, be a model in front of your children, teaching them, showing them integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The world is looking for something to say about us. They're watching our lives. And men, I think more than anything, they're watching our leadership, especially in the church. And that's why what's happening in Anaheim, California today, this week is so important because it's going to address men and their accountability and their spiritual leadership. And we desperately need more of that today in our churches. And so as I prepared this message, I thought about how much it goes against present culture. In fact, it seems like every Sunday I get up here, I have this little tinge that I'm uncomfortable, not because of you, but because of the culture. The culture is making preachers uh, feel uneasy about preaching the truth, purely preach the truth without any, any shame, without any, any regret. And so this morning, I press against that and come to you uh, with a message that t- truly is against the culture. But I pray, pray that you will receive it, especially our men, but all of us today. Even you that are not married today, like my daughter Chloe, looking for a man, 
A man who's a godly man. I've often told Chloe that it's far better to marry a man that is poor or doesn't have a cent, but he's worth a million, than to marry a millionaire who isn't worth a cent. You see, we need to understand the importance of raising up godly men and women in our church. And so I want to share with you as I introduce the message to a mentor of mine. When Adrian Rogers passed away, who was my mentor for, for, for the first few years that I was transitioning, another man came into my life named uh, Crawford Loretz. And Crawford is a great preacher out of Georgia, and I began to read his books, everything I could get a hold of. I began to listen to his messages and, 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 and videos from Crawford, and Crawford believes in the, in the men being strong leaders and, and raising up boys to, to be men and, and, to, and to take a stand and to do what's right. And so I began to follow Crawford, and one of the things I thought I would do is share with you a few words as I begin to bring the message from Mr. Loretz. Now, this is cool. I told Brett I was going to do this, and Brett said, his son is on staff at my church in Nevada. So, Brendan Loretz is my brother's associate pastor. I, I couldn't believe it. It got us so good, isn't he? So, I want to share this with you. Listen as Crawford, an older preacher, he's talking about the seasons of life in a, in a godly man. You know what season I'm in right now? I'm in the patriarchal season. I'm 57 years old. I've got two boys that are married. One over 30, one almost 30. I've got seven grandchildren. Six. Six grandchildren. Who knows? There might be, I don't know. You know, you never know. You always got to say one more than you've got. You just never know. I mean, I look at my life now and I realize I'm, I'm in the fourth quarter. I'm on the last lap. Dylan, I'm handing, I'm handing this to you now. I'm, Mike, I'm handing this to you now. Your sons now, your children, as God gives you. And by faith, we believe God's going to give Mike and Micah children. Can I get an amen? I hope that doesn't embarrass you. I'm believing that by faith because I think sometimes we need the church to pray. We need the church to pray. And I think about all of us sitting in this room, how desperately we need as older men to realize, church, it won't be long before I celebrated 30 years. Undoubtedly, I don't have another 30 years as pastor. I mean, the truth is, if the Lord tarries, somebody else is going to be standing up here. Listen to Crawford talk about the seasons of life in a godly man, and then I'll preach a short message. Well, you know, for 27 years, I served on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. I traveled and spoke and represented the organization. And, uh, you know, about eight, seven, eight years or so ago, I began to sense that God uh, wanted me to shepherd and to pastor. And this right here, obviously, this is my bride, the joy of my life. And uh, we've been married 40 years, and she's a sweetheart. These are our kids, Brian and uh, Heather and Brendan and Holly. One of the things we did with our boys uh, when they were 13 years old is that we brought other men into their lives because I realized that they needed more than what I could give them. Uh, they had to write out their goals for the year, had to write out what they were believing God to do in their lives, what they wanted to see accomplished. Because it's during that season in your life where what's been invested in you will sprout. It's uh, pretty remarkable that um, both of our sons are preaching now and all of our kids love Jesus, and God does things in spite of us. 
I think it's terribly important during the summer years of your life that you learn brokenness and you learn lessons in, in, in confession of failure. You, you begin to live by the intangibles of life. If you're not careful, you'll forget the long-range view that, that, that what we do every single day is exponential. And you don't define yourself one-dimensionally. That that's a huge mistake, huge mistake. You, we paint ourselves in the corner and we start defining ourselves based on our jobs or how many zeros I have in my paycheck or, or all these other external things. While I'm working, I glance at them and think about what's really important in life. Every other season, you 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 gotta be you gotta be living out the intangibles because you know you're you're developing an account morally, your character, with your relationship, with your choices, that you're gonna have to start withdrawing. And I think it's in the fall, but particularly the winter, but in the fall you start withdrawing from that account. One of my prized possessions here, um, Milton was a son of a slave, my great-grandfather, Peter. Uh, he had this in the family Bible, and he wrote this in his own hand, and uh, his grandfather, uh, I mean, his father, Peter, was uh, illiterate as a slave. But you know, I look at this sometimes, and I read those names, and I think of I'll, I'll jump in. Maybe it's the internet or something. That's okay. Did you get enough of it, though, to see? And he ends up talking about, at the very end, the patriarchal. It had about a minute left. No problem. We always can adjust to little things like that, right? And so, at the la very last, he talks about being a, a, a good repenter. Learning how to say, I was wrong. Learning how to say, I'm sorry. To your children, to your, to your wife, and to others. And, and so, here I am. After all of these years, looking back over my life, sure, mistakes, not perfect as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, but looking back over my life and understanding that right now I'm, I'm making some withdrawals. And the fact that I'm even here after 30 years is by the grace of God and pursuing being a godly man. And so I want to share this with you today. As we look at Psalm 128 and we see what it means to be a real, godly, masculine, biblical man. Because if there's anything in shortage today, it's godly men. They're just in shortage today. And real men who will say to their families in a loving way, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. To be a godly man, it takes growth. To be a godly man, it takes development. To be a godly man, it takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. And wherever you are on this journey, I encourage you right now to begin to apply these four principles found in Psalm 128, which I believe is the godly man chapter in the Word of God. So what is real manliness? Let's read the psalm. It's not too long. It's six verses. Are you ready? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. This man, this man who walks in the ways of the Lord, he's going to be blessed. It's going to be well with him. Your wife, she'll be like a fruitful vine within his, within his house. Your children, they're going to be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, this man 
He's blessed because he fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity. You know what I put there for me? I put hot springs. (laughs) That's my city. May you see the prosperity of hot springs all the days of your life. May you see your children's children and peace upon Israel. Or if I could just say this relative to me, peace upon the United States of America. What is real manliness? What what does God say about being a man of God? Well, you get an instruction manual when you buy a refrigerator. You get an instruction manual when you buy a washing machine or a dryer. You get get an instruction manual when you buy a computer. Where is the instruction manual for being a godly man? Do you know the answer? God's Word. Amen. God's Word. That wasn't a trick question. I don't ask trick questions. I've told you that for 30 years. I only ask easy questions. Two plus two is? Good. Okay, that's how easy these questions are. It's the Bible. God's given us instructions in His Word. And so I want to give you these four things that you'll see in the text. These are God's instructions to be a godly man. And I'm looking across the audience today, even in the balcony, and I'm seeing a lot of men. And I'm grateful for that. I mean, even on a hot summer Sunday with no air conditioner, and maybe there's many listening online, but I'm seeing a lot of men in this room. And I'm seeing wives and single ladies who will appreciate, I believe, and and be thankful and, and, and hope that we will step up and be the men that God has called us to be. Number one, a godly man, according to this passage, according to the instruction manual, a godly man will have a faithful walk. Notice it says in this passage, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who walks. It's a continual thing. It's, it's something that happens gradually. It's consistently happening. It's, it's, he's faithful. He is a man who walks in the ways of God. There's a pattern here. This speaks of a pattern that the husband and a father need to set before their children, that, he's ha- that he needs to have a personal walk with Almighty God. And the wife and the children need to see that walk every day, often, need to see him walking with God. And here's why, because in the home, in the home, according to the Bible, the father, the man, is the picture of God in the home. How powerful is that? That sets me back. I mean, that's a humbling thought, that I am a picture of God to my wife. I am a picture of God to my children. Why did God teach us to call, what did God teach us to call our Father, our, our God? He taught us to call Him our Father. In fact, the passage in Romans eight fourteen actually says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That means Daddy, Father. We are to think of God as a Father. And the Bible says that God has sent his spirit into our hearts, whereby we cry, Daddy, God is our Father. And so, men, the reason why we need to live a godly life is that our modeling before our family, we are modeling before our family what Almighty God is like and what the Lord Jesus Christ is like. Embrace that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, very specifically says, for man is the image of And a man is the glory of God. Look at that. Black ink on white paper. So again, in the home, the man, dad, pictures almighty God. As a result of this, I say something that, again, is not popular in culture. 
But God demands more spirituality out of the man than he does the woman. God demands more spirituality out of the dad in the home than he does anyone else. God puts a bigger responsibility on the man than on the woman. Listen, if your home is not right, the man shares the major responsibility. I've had to accept that. That's my responsibility. And if my home is not right, then I share the majority of that, not Carol Ann and not the children, but Erica Pacey. That's why Psalm 128.1 again says that the man, the blessed man, walks in the ways of God. One of the chief characteristics of, of, all, of the Almighty is, is faithfulness, right? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Your compassion, it fails not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. I want that characteristic in my life. I want to be the kind of man, the kind of dad, the kind of pastor, the kind of community leader that people can look at and say, one thing about that old boy is he's faithful. He stays with it. He keeps getting up. He doesn't quit. And that's one of the chief problems in America today is the unfaithfulness of men, the unfaithfulness of husbands, the unfaithfulness of dads. I have a few statistics, and for this I called my dear friend Lance Nelson who is, uh, he runs the compact service ministry that where we get our uh, connection with the foster families. And we have many families in our church that are fostering children through compact ministries. So I emailed Lance this week and I said, what are the latest, greatest statistics about fathers in their homes? He shoots me back an email within just a few minutes. He says this, America has been moving towards fatherlessness since about 1960. According to the census in 1960, about 4% of children were born into single-parent households. In 2020, the the census shows that we've crossed the 50% mark with the majority of children being born into single-parent households. Not surprisingly, America's fatherless problem has correlated with a multitude of other issues. The rise of violence and anger. Nearly every mass shooting over the past 20 years has been perpetuated by a fatherless child. I've done research. He said 14 of the previous 15 mass shootings were done by fatherless kids. There's not a single person on death row in America today with an intact family, not one. Gender identity issues have also risen at the same rate as fatherlessness has risen. And and I wonder if there's any coincidence in that. 70% of the men in prison grew up without a father. We are in the middle of a disaster in the United States of America. And men, we need to step up and walk in his ways. I mean, listen, somebody, including you and me, needs to stand up and say, let's be accountable to one another. Let's be men of God, men of prayer, men of faith. And let's just stay at this thing called godliness. Now, let me say this about faithfulness, because faithfulness also includes, includes a lot of things but includes promise-making, and it includes promise-keeping because our God, the greatest example of faithfulness, is a covenant God. He is a faithful God, and, and that's who our greatest example is. And so as you and I become more godly, we're going to have to make promises that we keep. We're going to have to be faithful to that which God's called us to do because the entire Bible from start to finish is about the faithfulness and the promises of God because there's power in a promise. 
I've heard it said this way by Lewis Smeds, who is a, uh, a, a pastor who read, wrote many books before he passed away a few years ago. When a man makes a promise, and I think I have this on the screen, listen to this. It's so deep, you've got you to read it two or three times. When a man makes a promise, he creates an island of certainty and a heaving ocean of uncertainty. When you make a promise, you have created a small sanctuary of trust within the jungle of unpredictability. Now think about that for just a minute. Here's a quote from Stu Weber in his excellent book that every man needs to read called Tender Warrior. It's, it's a must read. He said this, fathers and husbands need to learn faithfulness. Stand by your promises. Never, never let go no matter what. When marriage is fun, stay in it. When parenting is over your head, stay at it. When work is crushing your spirit, don't let it beat you. When the local church is overwhelmed with pettiness, stay by it. When your children let you down, pick them up. When your wife gives you, uh, I like this, when your wife goes through a six-month mood swing, live with it. (laughs) When it's fourth and 14 and no time on the clock, throw another pass. Stay with it. Be the man. Be faithful. Understand that the heart of staying power is sacrifice. Giving one's self up for the good of another. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? For the ultimate example of staying power, our eyes only have to lock on the Lord Jesus Christ. When he could have turned away from the cross, he stayed the course, setting his face like a flint all the way to Calvary. When he could have stepped down from the cross and sidestepped suffering, he stayed. He persevered and stayed under until that moment when he could cry out, it is finished. You know, one of the most incredible things about the time capsule is putting a letter in the capsule and writing a letter to someone that they're going to read 10 years later. You're making a lot of decisions in 10 years. It's a scary thing. I did it for the third time last Sunday. I wrote letters to all my kids, all my grandkids, my wife, and I put all those in there. I took out, I took one letter, I... This is Joe's. And I tell you, Joe, this is, I can't imagine reading this and it being any different than it was, but if, by the grace of God. I want to challenge you to understand that we don't know what the next 10 years look like, but if we could know. Dear Dad, the last time we read the time capsule letters, it was such a great time remembering and looking back at the past 10 years. We were all pretty accurate at guessing where we all would be, but this time... I'm really not going to guess where we will be or what we will be doing because 10 years is a long time, but yet it's so short. It'll be over before we know it, Dad, but either way, I'm sure a lot will have changed. Me and Mo will hopefully be married and have some children. Zoe will hopefully be a man and not a whiny baby. (laughs) Chloe will be a gorgeous young woman, and Glow, well... I don't even know, (laughs) but she'll still be my favorite. But even though a lot of things will have changed, Dad, I know one thing that won't change. You'll still be serving the Lord. You'll still be loving God. You'll still be loving your family. Those three things I know won't change when you read this, and that is something I'm thanking God for right now. 
You're the best dad in the whole world. I love you so much and more. And I hope that I've been a son that you can be proud of, and you have. It is very strange to write a note that won't be read for 10 years, but I hope and pray that, 20, that in 2022, I'll still be making old dad proud in whatever the Lord has pl- planned for my life. Thanks, dad, for raising me in a godly home and for not compromising what you believe. It truly is an honor to have you as my dad. Thanks for loving me, and thanks for loving our family. I can't imagine what it would have been like to read that letter if I would have had an adulterous affair on my wife or if I would have thrown in the towel of ministry and quit. I can't imagine. It could have happened. You do understand that could have happened. I was tempted these past 10 years. There were times where I, 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 I had a, a moment where, where lust was creeping into my life. Every man would, would have to admit that there are moments, don't you love it? Hopefully when I'm transparent enough with you to let you know, you're not looking at a super Christian. You're looking at a man that has to depend upon the power of God to even make it another day. But oh God, thank you for being faithful to me, giving me the example of faithfulness. And in 10 more years, by the grace of God, I'll still be serving him. And loving him and loving my family, not because of me, but because of the goodness of God. And so I read you today the goodness of God, the plan of God, the instruction manual that God has for all of our lives. Number two, a godly man is known by his fruitful work. Look at Psalm 128 and verse number two. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Look at that. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your own hands. You know what God's plan is for the man? To provide for his family. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and you look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19. You see how I'm sweating right now? <laughs> go back and read Genesis three nineteen. It says, by the sweat of your face, you'll put bread on the table. It's going to be tough. Men, if you're going to provide for your family, you're going to have to sweat, work hard. It's, there's going to be some sleepless nights, and there have been. But I'm going to tell you, I've got a responsibility to work and provide for my family. I'm grateful for the work that my wife does and for the provision that she's made for our family. And the times you've come alongside me, sweetheart, and worked an extra job, it's amazing. But it's primarily, I know, my responsibility to work hard. And however that looks, God made the man to provide. But it's much more than just food and clothing and shelter. God's made the man to provide emotional strength and spiritual stability for the family. To be there in much many more ways than just bringing home the bacon. But leading the family in prayer at mealtimes. Having devotions in the evening at times. And going to church and making sure that we're all in church together. This is my responsibility. I'm to provide spiritually and emotionally for my home as well. And then notice it says in the latter part of that verse that your wife's going to be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children, they're going to be like olive shoots or plants around your table. I love this because here a man is not only providing for his home, but he's protecting his wife and he's protecting his children because a godly man is not just a provider, but he is a protector. Men tend to be tough and strong, but men can be tough and tender as well. Amen? In fact, our greatest example, Jesus Christ, was someone who was meek and he was tender and he was gentle, but he was also strong. And so, men, let's get this right. 
We went to a retreat this past year together. Many of us, almost 60 of us went, and we learned how to be men of grace and truth, how to lead with love, but lead with truth. Our homes will never be right until our men get right, until our dads get right. And then number three, a godly man is known by his family worship. Notice in verse 4 and 5, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Pay close attention to that statement. The man is blessed who fears the Lord. This is a man who prioritizes his family worshiping an almighty God. And dads, as we seek God's blessing, we become the blessing. Look at the text. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. The Lord will bless you. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy being a dad. It's not easy being a husband. It's not easy being a pastor or a leader. But I feel so blessed. I feel so blessed. I I feel as if God has given me the greatest privilege of, the greatest calling in the history of the world to be able to lead my wife and children in the ways of the Lord. God has made a man to say, as for me and my house, Joshua 24, 15, we will serve the Lord. And those blessings go just beyond, don't just go to 621 Third Street. Those blessings begin to affect the city and the state and the nation. I'd like to think that my home can impact the Ryan Thompson. And I, I didn't plan on saying that, but I'd like to think that maybe if I can be the kind of man that God's called me to be, that maybe a guy like Ryan could come here and stay a few summers and go back and, and I could be just a little part of what he calls today a beautiful family serving God in a church in California, pastoring a church. Just a small part. That's the nation. It's not much. I don't know all about what God's doing, but... I get to clip a little coupon, and gentlemen, we can do the same thing. We can impact this city for Christ. They're watching us. They're watching us. Very little is accomplished within the four walls of this church, but when we leave this place, we can go back to our communities and make a difference. We can make a difference. We, become, we can become dads to the fatherless. And how do we accomplish this? Well, negatively, let me tell you how not to accomplish it. Ephesians 6.4 says, fathers, dads, provoke not your children to anger. Don't provoke. You're not going to get anywhere with losing your temper. You're not going to get anywhere with blowing a lid. You're not going to get anywhere by going home today and saying, you heard what the pastor said. I'm the leader around here. It's not going to work, guys. Don't provoke your family to wrath. That word provoke means don't frustrate them. Don't badger them. Don't wound them. Don't humiliate them. I'll never forget what Josh McDowell said years ago in one of his 120 books that he's written. He said, remember, rules without relationship make rebellion. That's why it's so important that we don't provoke our children, but we have a relationship with them. Look at Ephesians 6, 4, the latter part of that verse says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The King James says, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's so cool, isn't it? I love that. That word nurture is a word that, it's a caring word. It's a compassionate word. It's the idea of, 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 of feeding a garden. It's back what Psalm 128 and verse 3 says when it mentioned, your wife's going to be like a fruitful vine. Your kids are going to be like olive plants. You know, olive plants in the Middle East would have, would have been one of the wealthiest commodities that you would have had. 
It would have been something that you would take care of, something that you would nurture, something that you would cultivate. An olive plant was a valuable possession. And in the scripture, God likens these olive plants to our children. The most valuable possession we have are our kids. And if we're going to spend a lot of time watering the garden, let's spend more time watering and nurturing our children. Discipline takes time. I never beat my kids just to beat them. (laughs) Before I spanked my kids, oftentimes there was an hour conversation of them understanding why they were getting a spanking. I can't tell you how many hours upon hours upon hours upon tens of thousands probably of hours, cumulatively speaking, that I've spent with my kids just talking it out, working it out, talking about guys to Chloe, talking about girls to the boys, trying to figure this thing out about purity. And everybody else is having sex, Dad. You expect me to be pure. Let me tell you why, boys. Here's why. Let's talk about that. Let's figure this thing out together. It's tough, but we can do it with God's help. I mean, these are tough conversations. That's why nurture and discipline is critical if you're going to raise up olive plants around your table. You say, man, you're making this sound like it's going to take time. Bingo! Got it! Tons of time. In fact, you you know one of the most difficult things to navigate through with ministry? Is that. It's not neglecting your family. It's so easy to do. I did it. I did it. I about lost my family because I neglected them for so many years, traveling across the country doing ministry work. But thank God somebody had the guts enough to get in my face and say, Eric, do you see what's happening? And I had to realize that before I spent time winning the world, I had to spend time winning my family. And it's never changed since that Awakening conversation. It takes time. I've read that the average father spends seven and a half minutes per week with his teenager. Let me just say this. If you're not there, you don't care. If you're not there, you don't care. Psychologists tell us that if a father does not spend time with his daughter, her chances of becoming promiscuous are greatly increased. These olive plants need time. Man, you're the pastor in your home. I thought you were the pastor, Brother Eric, not of your home. You're the pastor of your home. Lead them spiritually. A godly man is to have family worship. You say, well, I don't have time. Duties never conflict. Remember that. They just don't. If you don't have time for your family, you got to change your schedule because duties never conflict, and you have a duty to your family first and foremost. And then fourthly, and I've done, a godly man is known by his future wealth. Amen? What is his future wealth? Well, can I speak as a 57-year-old man? I mean, listen, I, I, know, I, I know I'm not limping yet, and I'm not slumped over yet, and I, I may not look as old as prayerfully I am. And I know I don't act old, I can tell you that for sure. I'm still pretty cool. At least that's what they tell me. I might just trying to make me feel good. I'm conducting a youth conference in St. Louis in five weeks, and I don't even know how that's happening still. But I'm getting old. And can I tell you what future wealth looks like? Look at Psalm 128 and verse 6. May you see your children's children. That's future wealth. What is real wealth? Is it a BMW? Is real wealth a boat, a house, a deck, a new car? A pool? What is real wealth? 
may you see your children's children. You're looking at a rich man. I'm very wealthy. I mean, like, you wouldn't believe it if I told you how wealthy I am. It'll blow your mind. I'm this wealthy. That's how wealthy I am. It's incredible. I mean, like, I'm talking about, like, it's, it's out of control. Like, I'm 57 years old, and guess what? I have children. But my children, they have children. My children's children. Joe is my son. And he has sons. Mo is my son. And he has a son. And the greatest wealth that I have is not in my bank account. It's not in what I drive. It's not in the house I live in. The greatest wealth I have are my children's children and my peace upon Israel. The nation will be blessed with godly homes. You know a way we can reach America? Have a godly home. I'm not giving up yet. I'm not thrown in the towel. I can't do it. It's too depressing to just give up. Give up? Haven't you watched the news? No, I haven't lately. I don't watch it hardly ever anymore. Not even Fox. It's garbage. It's all negative. It's all woe is me. Why don't we just get out there and make a difference by loving somebody, winning somebody, caring for somebody, loving, you know, visiting somebody, investing in somebody, going to the Dominican Republic where there is no TV, hallelujah, or internet or anything else. No, there's a few things over there. You're looking at a rich man. Children don't make a rich man poor. Children make a poor man rich. A rich man can't take his money to heaven, but I'm taking my kids to heaven. And that's what's most important. Listen to Psalm 78, and I'll close. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn... And arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. How is our faith going to be carried on from dads to children? And from children to grandchildren. And from grandchildren to great-grandchildren. This is true riches. I want to be a godly man. And if there's one thing, you know, I don't have a lot. I really don't. I'm not, I'm not a wealthy man. I don't have a lot, and I may never have a lot. And I may never be a great preacher, and I may never pastor a mega church or a famous church, and I, I may never have a lot of things, but there's one thing I'm asking God. Help me to be a real godly man. Help me to be faithful. That's all, God. That's the greatest thing I want to be. I, I don't care about fame or fortune or success. I used to. In my younger days, I used to think it was so cool when you get the standing ovations and you get the plaques and you get the, the notar. I thought, man, this is, this is what it's all about. And as I got older, I realized... You put drums on the platform and they don't talk to you anymore. They're not even friends. This is all politics. This is all about territory.
You know who my real friends are? My family and you. You, are, you. This is where it's at. This is why my life is all wrapped up in from 621 3rd Street to 600 Garland Street. My whole life is in a four-block radius. And I tend to, to die and be buried in Greenwood Cemetery and just clip coupons as I watch from heaven my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren live for Jesus. And you can't do it without, without him. You can't do it without him. And so today, as we stand in just a moment and sing and respond, I pray that God would move in our hearts, men, to take a step towards this altar and begin to determine that I'm going to make some changes to be the man that God would have me to be for my wife, for my kids, for my grandkids, for this future generation, for this youth department. We need it, men. You say, man, you were tougher on us this month already in one sermon than you were last month in four because you're tough. God made you that way. This is, this is, this is, this is how God made us to, to be able to be a little tougher, to carry a little bit more. Right, Jeremy? I hope you're not offended, Jeremy. I hope this is going to cause you to step it up and, and be more of a man of God for Jillian and these wonderful, beautiful children God's called you to have. Oh, if God is dealing with somebody about salvation, I encourage you to come and be saved. Trust him as your Savior. Say yes to Jesus. We'll have elders at the front. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll be here to pray with you. If you need someone to pray with you after the service, if you need to be anointed with oil, you let us know. We'll, we'll, we'll meet with you after the service and do whatever you need. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for the opportunity to share the Word of God. And Father, I feel as if today was your will that we have no air condition because I needed the sweat from my brow to come down and, and to represent how hard it is to preach like this, how hard it is to, to preach the truth because we live in such a world that has compromised Scripture. We live in churches that have diluted the Word. And, and Father, we've, we've taken the easy route. And, oh, God, it's, 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 I believe our churches are responsible in many ways for the condition of our nation. May we step up. May what happens in Anaheim, California, change the churches in the convention. May what happens here in Hot Springs, Arkansas this morning change our church and may men stand more accountability and may we step into our calling to be godly, nurturing, loving leaders of our kids and our wives and our grandkids. I love you, Lord. Help me to be everything you've called me to be. Help me to step into that. And God, I pray that for years to come, I'll see my wife, my beautiful wife, my little vine, and my olive plants, my children around my table with their kids, worshiping an almighty God who alone is worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?